Hello and welcome back to Rewildology, the podcast that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. Let's admit it, there are days in conservation, wildlife research, and ecotourism that plain suck. Even after curating the perfect plan, sometimes things go awry and you're stuck cleaning up a disaster. Or on some days we question our purpose and wonder why the heck did we go into this field in the first place? At moments like these, that banking job starts to look really appealing. I know I've been in this place multiple times throughout my career, and usually it's a good friend who helped me out of my funk. So for the last episode in our Women in Conservation Science series, I want to share with you a collection of clips from 12 badass women scientists that answered one of my favorite questions, what advice do you have for those listening? It doesn't matter who you are. I can guarantee that at least one of these messages will resonate with you as much as they did me. All right, friends, I won't delay any further. Please enjoy these inspirational clips from former women scientists on the show. First up is Bridget San Marco, co-founder of Save the Giants. So you have shared so many amazing nuggets this entire time, but I would love to give you a platform, an opportunity. Is there one piece of advice that you would love for anyone listening to take away from this conversation? Yeah, I, I think that the, you don't have to like be a crazy person and like devote your life to conservation to help out conservation worldwide. And you don't have to do everything all at once. And you don't have to feel guilty about like using a plastic straw like once or something like that. Like just try to try to do a little bit at a time. And if you're more conscious about it, like that's awesome. Like good for you. We shouldn't be shaming other people when they're trying to like bring their reusable bags or they're trying to like support ecotourism in their travels or they're trying to do other different things like they're putting in that effort that's awesome like good for you awesome keep it up and then expand on that every so often maybe have like a monthly check-in like this month I cut out plastic bags now this next month I went to like only reusable bottles I only went to this and it could be really really tiny things you can say I drove my car less I put solar panels on my house, like different things like that. Just keep building and building and building. And it's gets easier and easier. It doesn't have to be everything all at once. So I'm a nut job and like we drive an electric car. We have solar panels on our house. <laughs> like we're all crazy over here, which was awesome. When we were losing power, I live in an area with hurricanes. We had freeze. I don't lose power at my house because I got solar. Say enough about awesome. solar power. <laughs> so, like it doesn't have to be all of that all at once. A lot of people can't afford to be as eco-friendly as they'd like to do because that's also a big factor in it. The little things, little things help out, help out a little bit at a time. And you're gonna do awesome. Just stay positive. Positive people look for solutions. Next is Daniela Alarcon, cetacean researcher in the Galapagos Islands. So do you have any particular advice or or a, a message that you would love to share with anybody listening? Oh, yeah. 
every time I can share this mission message, I can, I try to do it. And it's like, basically, it doesn't matter how you try to help the ocean. It doesn't matter, like, if you are perfect, if you, in terms of like, if you are like, for example, if you are like, you don't need to be like a perfect vegan or a perfect plastic free person or a perfect like conservationist, but just doing one little thing, you are doing something. So I always say like, if we do one small thing by 7 billion people doing it, we can still do something. So that's it. That's the advice. No matter what you're doing or what you try to do to conserve the oceans or the planet, just do it. <laughs> like, doesn't matter if it's not perfect, if it's not the full time or the all the time, but if you do something, you are like actually getting a, a change that it's going to help in terms of like protecting the environment and the ecosystem. That would be the message for sure. Third is Christine Figater, PhD, marine conservation biologist, author, and founder of Coasts. And so I know we've been chatting a while. So one of my very last questions that I absolutely love that has always so much impact it feels, what advice would you like to share or what message would you like to give to anyone listening right now? I think my advice is always to depend on what I'm probably right now thinking about myself as well. And I think recently I've thought a lot about a lot about vocation, about passion, about you know why we do what we do. And I think I think one thing, and actually I listened to a podcast and a podcast that talked about purpose and how purpose in people's life can be like a guiding star and how people that have purpose, even though if they name it purpose or not, but they have this just like guiding star, the reason of why they get up in the morning, kind of maneuver the up and downs of life so much easier than other people, right? Like it's, and I kind of, it made me think about that. I think I, did have a purpose very early on in my life, which I feel very blessed that I have because it has pretty much always given me direction of where I'm heading in life. And it also has made my failures less painful because I had a reason to try again, right? I mean, it was, of course it was painful. I don't want to say it wasn't, but I had a reason to not give up. And I feel sometimes people become so misled of what other people, parents and teachers are trying to tell them of what they need to do with their lives, of that they need to become a lawyer, a doctor, whatever else, that they need to make money, that they need to support a family. And I think this is just a whole load of bullshit because we're coming kind of circling back to it just because you might be good at something. Maybe you can become a doctor Will you enjoy that? Will that be your purpose? Is that really why you get up in the morning to do it? And I mean, I'm not saying you need to save turtles or you need to become a conservationist. I just think everybody in life should find their why. And I think people that have found it are so much happier and usually have so much more impact as well. So 
when you are in a situation where you still need to decide of where you're heading in your life, I mean, and you still don't know, go and travel. Try to figure out your purpose first before you commit to any career. Although, I mean, even a career is not, you know, meant for eternity. That's another important thing. But take your time. I mean, you don't need to have a freaking PhD at 23. Really, you don't. Um, you just kind of be in probably in student debt until you're 60, 70 years old and you're never able to enjoy your life. So rather figure it out first and then go full energy for it. I think that's the only advice I can think of. Continuing on is Coral Wolf, Conservation Science Program Manager at Island Conservation. When a lot of people would quit, we keep going. Like you're still here doing what you're doing. And I'm sure there's been some days that have been unbelievably hard and what you do, just like you said. And that brings me to my next question and something I love to ask everyone that comes in, uh, that comes on the show is there are days that suck and they are really crappy. Like we've just spent, you know, how long talking about, you know, you're part of this really rewarding, you know, island restoration and this, the forefront of this new science that's hopefully going to restore not only islands, but also the marine ecosystem around. So what are some struggles that you've had to personally go through and overcome that maybe you would be okay sharing with me and the whole rebotology community? Yeah. So I'd say in recent years, it's definitely been parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the logistics around parenting, both my husband and I are biologists and we both travel a fair amount of for work or can travel. And so being able to do that definitely has required a fair amount of like advanced training and logistics. Uh, we don't have, you know, childcare available to us here, you know, grandparents or something that can just pick up when we need to leave. And, you know, it's been really helpful being able to support each other in our work. But at the same time, uh, logistics can be a nightmare sometimes. We had one time where I had work in Chile and had a field outing there for a couple of weeks. And this is when our daughter was a two-year-old at the time. And we both had a workshop we wanted to attend in Tahiti. So he, so from Chile, I flew to Tahiti. He flew with our daughter to Tahiti. We were able to arrange childcare with this woman to take her while we both attended the workshop. And then he had to leave immediately to go to another field site that didn't allow children. So he left without her. I kept her and went to this field site that I had to get special permission in. So I was still in Tahiti. But and to allow her to come and just ended up carrying her around, uh, you know, on my chest or back. And oh, wow. she she's become an expert in uh, tropical seabirds and, and animals. So she's yelling and pointing, <laughs> white turn, white turn and cocoa crabby. And so she, you know, it was good, but it's like you're it's hard to both be a parent and also juggle the requirements of work at the same time. So. That's the newest hurdle, I think. But yeah, so many, right? As you go through this journey in field biology and science in general. Yeah. And I I love that you bring that up because I feel that a lot of us, me included, when we go into this field, being a parent seems like it's crazy hard. And a lot of us either choose not to do it, or if we do, a lot of people have to end their career to become a parent. 
And so it's beautiful to hear that you and your husband have found a way to continue with your awesome biologist, you know, careers while also being parents. So if you might, do you have a piece of advice or something that you would like to share to someone who is maybe thinking about becoming a a parent in this industry or even specifically as like mom to mom? Like if you want to speak to the women that are listening, what would you like to share from your experience so far as being a mother in this field and maybe someone who's thinking about it in one way or another? Yeah, I, I've had colleagues, you know, ask me that question because it it definitely can be a challenge and and people and also what expectations of you might change, right? Um I went into the field when I was pregnant and that was had its own hurdles. So just trying, you know, there's there's always things and every individual is gonna be different too as far as what their comfort level and, and what's gonna work for their partnership or and all of that. But I think that, you know, the thing that's probably worked for us as parents as being open and maybe part and and just open to new to not putting limits on Mm. what's what's possible, that it is okay to and a lot of other culture. And maybe this this is we might have this perspective a little bit because we've worked outside of the continental United States where family and uh, work oftentimes is very separate. And when you work, when you travel and work in other cultures, oftentimes that's not the case. And people have kids, you know, people are happy to just pick up your kid and carry him around for a while, or they might, they might be happy to, um, you know, go play with them while you, you know, give a presentation at a conference. And so Recognize, like bringing that to your community, whoever that is, and, and introducing them to that concept if it's not already there. I think just normalizing parenting and, and that it can be done in all different environments. And kids, you know, they're they're packable, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like now we have to take our daughter out of school to bring her on our work trip. So it's a little, we have like guilt about that, but you know, it's just like, they, they travel, you know, it's, it's not impossible. So being solution oriented, but yeah, um, definitely. And having the support of, of your community and your partner is obviously critical. Fifth is Natasha Babic, Eurasian brown bear researcher and PhD candidate at Monash University. Do you have any piece of advice or any like a message or anything that you would love to share with everyone listening from your journey and everything that you've been through essentially? Yeah, it's that's a that's a big one. I had a hard one, but yeah, I guess you always want to try and give advice. Doesn't sound cliche, but cliches exist for a reason. And that's like, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, be, be determined, be reasonable too, right? Because sometimes we set our expectations right up here and then it can be really hard and disappointing, especially when you're working with a conflict species. Like, let's be honest, there is a lot of heartache involved, but don't let it dishearten you because you have to keep in mind as a conservationist that, you know, you're doing it for the right reasons and without people like us, there's just no hope moving forward there needs to be people like us. And even if you, you know, especially as a PhD student, like the struggle of, you know, some of my people in my cohort, like, you know, all of us, even me sometimes, you know, suffering from like imposter syndrome, like, but I can't be doing a PhD. I can't be, you know, I'm not great yet. And, you know, I don't, sometimes there are days, 
even I'm like, wow, I feel like I know nothing. I know nothing. But everything you do, every small little step that you do is contributing to something. And you have to start somewhere, right? You know, what do they say? Waterfalls start with like just a trickle at mm-hmm. first. So even when things seem really hopeless, they're really not. They're really, really not. There is always hope as long as you keep trying, right? But yeah, you need to be kind to yourself and look after yourself as well. And that's why, you know, you have, have good supervisors, try and surround yourself with some good people and just, yeah, don't give up. Don't take no and just keep the animals in mind and you can get through it, definitely, because it's hard. It's really hard. It doesn't matter what level you're at. I think if you're doing a PhD, if you're not, if you're, you know, high level researcher, if you're entry level, like everyone has similar experiences, but we're here for the animals and for humans, right? It's important. Next up, we have Rose Bear Don't Walk, ethnobotanist and PhD student at the University of Montana. I always love to ask this one last question and it is, and you've, you have already said something similar, but if there's anything else, what advice do you have for anyone listening? Or like, what's a last message that if we don't take away anything, we could take mm-hmm. away this one thing. What would that be? That indigenous people don't have a monopoly on plants and that everybody can have and cultivate a loving relationship with the plants of their area. But when that relationship comes at the expense of the plants or indigenous people in an extractive way, it takes away from that relationship and that intention. So basically is you can go out in your landscape and you can have a a, a fundamentally loving, reciprocal, gracious relationship with plants as indigenous peoples have had for thousands of years. But once you start commodifying and once you start treating a plant as a commodity or something to capitalize on or anything like that, that is when the plants will turn away from Mm. you, from us. So don't go buy sage from Urban Outfitters because it was probably not picked by an indigenous person or it was picked in a way that probably damaged or destroyed the plant. And also you're paying $25 for it, which is like just gross to me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) like, Like trying to find ways to have that relationship with that plant in a more intimate and loving way, whether that's, you know, getting your sage from an indigenous person who actually goes out and knows how to, you know, forage these in good and ethical ways, or maybe like finding a way to pick it to yourself or anything like that. I think just in the, in the world of ecosystem management and the environment is that once we come to the point of extraction and commodification and capitalism, things start to go downhill. Seventh is DRN Smith DVM, wildlife veterinarian and the world's leading pygmy sloth researcher. If there is a message or a piece of advice or anything that you would love to give or say to everyone listening, what might that be? Well, I think that the most important thing is that we have to realize that we are living in the same place. All the human beings and all the living beings are in the same 
home. So we have to empathize with them too, even if it's a small animal. I mean, we always be more in contact with huge big cats, like, you know, because they are powerful. And, but there are other part of the species that need to be protected too. And we need to be aware of the way that we are behave has a consequence in the future. And we need to start to do our own um, effort to do the best, um, trying to preserve what we have now and, and to continue uh, enjoying in the future, to continue enjoying in the future. So that is, is very important because probably our daily life is not showing or facing us what is happening in the forest or what is, because we are living in the city and if something happened in the Amazonia or something happened in the, you know, in the Scudo, in the forest of Scudo, it's like, that is not going to affect me. Uh, yes, of course, the, everything is connected and it's going to affect us in some point. So we just need to be more close to our motherland because it's, it's important for us. Eighth is Mariella Superina, DVM, PhD, world-leading armadillo researcher. If you could offer one piece of advice to anyone listening, and that could be anything, what would you like to share that you want someone to take away from this conversation? That you have to follow, follow your dream. I mean, if you want to do something, um, insist and... Don't get, you know, don't, don't let anyone take you off your path that you want to follow. And if you are passionate enough, you know, to study the weirdest animal or plant, uh, do it. Um, I mean, it, it's not worth spending the rest of your life doing research on an organism that you're actually not passionate about because you get frustrated. And if you want to work in conservation of the weirdest animal, well, do it because nobody else is going to do it. And, and you know, that species depends on you. So I think that's, that's very important uh, in all that. You know, you need to follow your dreams and, and do what you're passionate about. We're still going. Ninth in this series is Iroro Tanshi, Nigerian tropical ecologist, co-founder of SmallCon, and a PhD student at Texas Tech University. And then you specifically. So you are a woman, obviously, as anyone can hear your voice, you are a woman. And being, just having been in this field as well as a woman, it's a very much a male-dominated culture. And I, I would like if if... You could just explore that with me for a little bit. Have, have you, what have your experiences been? If you've had any negative and if you have, how did you work through that? And then if you would like to give any advice to any other women who might be in the field that might just need a little bit of encouragement. Right. So yes, you're right about potential negative side not not side effects, not side effects, but negatives out of society's perception of women and how that may have affected my work. For women out there, if I had ever had a time when 
I was sort of discouraged by all of these comments. Uh, I think it must have been when my department was trying to my, so I'm also a lecturer at the University of Benin. And when I first started out, I used to get comments like, a woman has to be respectful and be quiet and not be over ambitious. So why are you doing this? Like you need to be back here in the department, just working for everybody basically. Mm. And, you know, I stood up for myself there i was like i am not doing what you've asked me to do because it's not really my job anyway you just needing just anybody to dump it on and i'm not gonna take it you know so all of your psychological analysis you're doing right now will not work on me uh you're trying to manipulate me i'm not gonna fall for it i mean i i obviously didn't say that way but i i found ways to get get out of it by i guess just standing my ground and saying i do not have the time for it i have field work to do and i'm gonna go do it there, I've got all the right to go do that field work. So any of this talk about being a woman is not going to stop me. Now, when we say how how things like that can help women when they encounter you know setbacks, I think it probably comes down to you know the context, but also how that person perceives themselves in the world, so to speak. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. There's certainly points where my all of my training from my dad and, and, and development may break down under pressure, but within the limits of everyday interaction with some of these people, just, I guess, stand your ground as much as you can. If you're about to lose your job, of course, uh, you're going to have to find a way around that, but stand your ground and just try to remember that you have every right to be in the field as much as any man or anybody else out there. Like you, you don't need to pander to any of their ideas or you know misplaced ideas, obviously, or even manipulations that they want to bring at you. You know, so if you've got every right to be there, they they just if you know that in and of yourself for yourself, so to speak, you you sort of I think it gives you that extra sense of agency as well. It's like. Mm. I am going, I have the right and I don't care what you say to me. I am going to carry on doing what I'm doing because it's fun. I love doing it. But yeah, I I would just say it's, it's about being resilient. Again, it may not always work. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying people who have succumbed or people who've had issues are not resilient. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying at least on a basic level, uh, stick to it, you know, stick to it. Don't get swayed by all of these undue expectations. Next is Anja and Veru, Malagasy lemur experts. I would love to ask both of you this, since you're both in different parts of your career, you have moved abroad, you have seen so much, you've done so much. If you have one piece of advice for anybody listening here, and it could either be people in the field or people that are just conservation admirers, what would you like to say or a piece of advice that you would like to give to anybody listening? Don't be afraid to dream. That's beautiful. Go go on, expand. Yeah, that's like everything starts with a dream or just like something you want, something that just fuels you every day. So I think if you know what you want, it's easier for you to do it and for example just like traveling that was my dream and I do it 
I gain money from it. <laughs> I do what I love. I never get bored. It's hard. I agree. But it's just bearable when you when you love what you do. So I think that dreaming is something that you should never put aside. But just keep... And it gives you a goal, a purpose that just to achieve at some point on your of your life. Oh, so good. I couldn't agree more. Did anything come up to mind, Anja? Science can be fun. Uh, I think that would be my advice. Like, do science. It's fun. It It's for everyone. It's just like, science can be fun. And if you really want to do it, it doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter. Just like, do it if you... It's fun. It can be fun. Well, it is fun. Not can be. It is fun. It, it is. I, I really like discovering new things. It excites, like, my brain. And last but not least, Kayla Fratt, conservation detection dog handler and co-founder of Canine Conservationists. So is there any, from in your field, you've gone through, you've been through so much, you've gone through so many things, um, taking the whole roller coaster of life so mm-hmm. far. What's your biggest piece of advice to anyone listening and whatever you think that they need to hear? I think the biggest thing is if you really know what you want to do, or you think you know, because obviously you can always change your mind, it, it like tenacity with it. And like, you don't have to go the path that someone else went, you know, like for me, what worked was being like, well, fine, I'm going to go to grad school to prove that I'm hireable. And then I eventually just got hired before I went to grad school. Like, okay, you know, I thought that grad school was going to be the ticket in a way it was because I got the job offer because I was applying. Um, But you know, it's not the path that I expected at all. And like, I was initially really discouraged. I used to joke with my ex a little bit, this always hurt his feelings. But you know, that initial email that I had gotten that said, no, we don't really hire people who are in committed relationships because they end up having to choose between their partner and their job. I used to joke with, with my ex, with Andrew, like, yeah, well, you know, I'll just be a conservation dog handler when we break up. And he would always be like, when we break up? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I'm just, you know, like, it's my backup plan. Like, I can have my dream job or I can date you. Like, it's just one of the two. And I, like, joked about that with him, which was not very sensitive of me. And I apologize. <laughs> um, and I ended up getting hired by Working Dogs for Conservation while he and I were still together. We broke up unrelated to the job, actually. Um, but... Um, you know, like I, I could have just taken that advice and been like, okay, well, I guess I'll never be a conservation dog handler or, okay, I guess I have to break up with my boyfriend in order to have this job. And like, neither of those was true. Um, I, I, like I do, as I've been dating around now, like I have to think about my lifestyle and my lifestyle is a hurdle for people that I might want to date. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, that it doesn't have to stop things and that, you know, like uh, eventually my lifestyle will probably change. So anyway, advice for people like tenacity and creativity and like building those relationships. Like for me, when I got hired by working dogs for conservation, basically because I came to them asking, Hey, what are the problems that you guys need help solving? And I'm going to pursue my own funding and not need anything from you. And I'm going to go figure out how to solve these things. So then when they were deciding to hire, like, of course I was someone that they thought of 
you know, letting them know that they had an open position because I didn't just send them a cold email asking for a job, which will, which is what I had done several years earlier. I'm sure I emailed working dogs for conservation back when I was an <laughs> undergrad and they were probably one of the eight places that didn't respond to me. So I don't remember ever having contact with them previously. Um, you know, so rather than like shotgunning out those emails, just being like, oh my God, I want to do this. And I get those emails all the time already in this field. And like, I try really hard to respond to people and tell people, you know, I meet with them, do whatever I can to help them talk about and learn about this field. But like, the reality is I, I like, unless I, I don't have time for just like endless mentoring and I don't have funding to hire anyone, I'm sure most of the people reaching out to me are incredibly um, talented and worthy of being hired, but like, I barely pay myself. Um, so, you know, figuring out other ways to get your foot in the door. Mm. Um, and that, you know, and that goes for everything, not just conservation dog stuff, of course. Wow. I hope you are feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. I know me and the women highlighted in this episode, believe in you and can't wait to see what you do with your talents. If you have any questions for the guests of today's episode, leave a comment on this episode's post in the Rewildologist Facebook group page. As always, I want to thank you for being a part of the Rewildology community. If you'd like to support the show, some zero-cost ways include subscribing to the podcast on your favorite streaming app, leaving a rating and review to boost the algorithm, which will present the podcast to more listeners, signing up for the weekly Rewatology newsletter at rewatology.com, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and following the show on your favorite social media app. If you'd like to financially support the show and help us keep these stories on the airwaves, consider making a monetary donation at rewatology.com or purchase a piece of swag to show off your Rewatology love. At least 10% of proceeds from this podcast will be donated to our conservation partners. I'd also like to extend a special thanks to Heather Valley, the show's audio and video producer, and Focusrite for powering the podcast sound. If you'd like to see the gear we use to record the show, head on over to rewatology.com and check out Nature Podcasting under the Resources tab. Until next time, friends, together we'll rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.